Welcome to podcast number 29 of My Favorite Detective Stories. Today's date is December 10th, 2018, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Scott Fulmer is a licensed private investigator in Utah and Colorado. He is also a prolific author and speaker. He's an Army veteran and served with the 2nd Armored Division in the First Gulf War. Afterwards, he attended the University of Texas at San Antonio, and he graduated with a degree in criminal justice and security management. While in college, Scott began working for one of the largest private investigative firms in Texas. Later, he was granted a top-secret United States government security clearance. He spent several years conducting sensitive national security background investigations for the U.S. government. Additionally, he's worked as a state investigator for the Missouri Public Defender at the appellate level. After completing his state and federal experience, he and his wife Valerie founded Intermountain PI in Utah in 2002. I welcome Scott to the podcast. My Favorite Detective Stories podcast features past or present detectives and investigative journalists. As a working investigator of over 42 years, I hope to inform, inspire, and entertain you with great stories. We want to learn from our guests how they got started in the field and why they decided to become investigators in the first place. Listen as they tell us about the early years and who were their mentors and why those mentors had such a huge impact on their careers. We will explore what makes for a good investigator and what makes for good investigation. But most importantly, after you get to know our guests, we will ask them for their favorite detective story, or maybe two. Stay tuned. The interview is about to begin. Hi, Scott. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey John. How are you? And uh, where are we hailing from today? I am uh, somewhere in Idaho. I'm in an unspecified valley. <laughs> it's about 36 degrees and raining and... Uh, you know, kind of a nasty morning. Just my kind of day. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm having a similar day here in Connecticut. As we record this, today is November 30th, 2018. Uh, three weeks before winter, but you wouldn't know it by the weather outside my door today. We have sleet and uh, low 30s. So just a, a lovely fall day here in uh, the nutmeg state. But anyway, so you're out on the job and you took some time uh, to uh, sit down and talk with me. So I do appreciate that. And uh, sure. I'm not going to ask you what you're working on today or what it's about. But if you if you if you feel that you can, well, that's OK, too. But um, for later on. So when people ask you, what do you do? What do you tell them, Scott? Well, I essentially tell them I'm a private investigator, or uh, sometimes I just use the word investigator, which is what I've been doing for most of my life. And uh, I tell them I, uh, when they, they, you know, they, of course, uh, picture me chasing cheating spouses or something to that effect, which uh, I do from time to time. But I, I basically tell them that I help my clients, whether they're a business or they're an individual, I help them find peace of mind. That's essentially what we, I do. Mm-hmm. You give them the facts that can they can move on with from that point. Right. Uh, whether it's a law firm or it's an insurance company or whether it's a private individual, I provide information, intelligence, actionable intelligence, uh, surveillance, video, <clears throat> excuse me, all kinds of things. And then uh, the client can uh, adjudicate and make their own decisions from there. Sure. That makes sense. So this is a, a first for me. I know I've had uh, close to 30 podcasts now since uh, we started. And um, you're the first in 
investigator, a professional private investigator that I've had on that wanted to start out as a uh, private investigator. And you're not coming to this from some other uh, occupation. You're not coming at it from some other job. This is what you wanted to do when you were growing up. So um, why did you decide that you wanted to become an investigator is my question. Well, that's a good question. And I know a lot of uh, a lot of private investigators come from law enforcement. Uh, some of them, you know, of course, come from the insurance industry, uh, military. Uh, but I have uh, ever since I was a child, I just was interested in mysteries. I used to read Sherlock Holmes and Encyclopedia Brown and uh, a great uh, a great uh, child uh, juvenile series called The Three Investigators by Robert Arthur. And I just always wanted to be a detective, uh, wanted to be a private investigator. When I was uh, when I was 16, my uncle George Kane became a private investigator. And this was back in Texas, where I grew up. And he took me on uh, a couple of surveillances and, and, uh, and a couple of jobs with him. Of course, I'm sure he was bored out of his mind, but I was just I was chomping at the bit, you know, sitting on the edge of my seat like we we're going to we're going to you know solve Watergate or something any moment now. And uh, it just was something that kind of, you know, kind of fulfilled all the dreams, all the things that I wanted to do. And while I was sitting there one day with him, uh, he handed me a book. This was in the 70s, uh, the, I think the mid-70s. He handed me a, a paperback book called J.J. Arms, Private Investigator. And uh, it was about the uh, the famous El Paso private detective, J.J. Arms, who, by the way, has hooks instead of hands. Mm-hmm. He had an accident, accident as a child. And uh, I read the book and I was hooked, pun intended. I, uh, mm-hmm. I was ready to roll. And so uh, I uh, just kind of went from there. I, I wanted to get a college degree first. And I did not have money for that. So I joined the military to uh, earn money for school. And while I was there, they invited me to join them in the Gulf War, which I, I you know, had to say yes. I couldn't say no. And uh, so after that was over, after I got back, I, I got a degree in criminal justice and uh, from the University of Texas, San Antonio. And then uh I think about a year before I graduated college, I happened to see an ad in the paper uh, about a guy looking for a private investigator in uh, in San Antonio, and he wanted a resume, he wanted all this experience, and I, of course, had you know zero, had mm-hmm. none. So I just sent him a letter. I said, "Look, I don't have any experience, uh, but I haven't learned how to do things the wrong way. I'm like tabla rasa. You can you know train me however you want." And uh, and so he hired me, and it kind of it just went from there. And and you had a, a passion for it. It sounds I did. I really enjoyed it. I uh, I am you know we're all different. I have a, a brother-in-law that uh, that can uh, sit there every day nine to five and and uh, you know put uh, widgets on a on an assembly line. There's nothing wrong with that. But everybody's different, and I'm more of a uh, I'm more of a risk taker, more of an entrepreneur. Uh, plus, I just I can I'm, I'm never the kind of person that could just sit behind a desk, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five. And the, I just wouldn't my style. And so with the PI work, you know, it's uh, it's not a it's a 24 hour business. Uh, and so you get out, you do different things uh, every day. You, you do you have a different project going on. Sometimes you work weekends, sometimes you work, you know, late in the night or, or very early in the morning. And so I like uh, I like how my day is broken up like that. Every, yeah, every day is different. As, as as a practicing private investigator myself, I tell people I eat filet mignon every day. So but <laughs> it's uh, but it's because uh, I have a wonderful, uh, diverse uh, 
platter of work to choose from, as you do uh, mm-hmm. at, at this point in your career. And I don't want to jump ahead because we're at the very, very beginning, but you can pick and choose. You've decided what you're good at, what you like to do, uh, what floats your boat, you know, you and your clients also appreciate what you do. And there's now a, a nice marriage there between your client and you in terms of what you can deliver and what their expectations are. So, yeah. Yeah, it's really worked out that way. And I, uh, you know, when you plan a business, for example, if you're going to go into a, a business for yourself, and I've been self-employed since 2006. Uh, prior to that, I worked for other, you know, other companies. I made my mistakes with other people, <laughs> uh, which is what I would recommend. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I uh, if you're going to run a business, of course, they tell you to, to find a niche and, and, and to uh, focus on that. I have been the kind of individual that I really like the variety. I don't uh, want to do one type of investigation. I like doing a little bit of everything. I focus primarily on surveillance, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I do uh, I do like doing you know a little bit little bit different types of projects and different types of investigations to uh, you know to keep uh, keep my uh, the saw sharp as mm-hmm. it were. No, I understand. Uh, many 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 years ago, uh, I made my mistakes with a company called Equifax. Oh yeah, and, and uh, I was uh, I I did work for them and it, some of the activity checks that I did on their behalf, I was able to convert into surveillances. And mm-hmm. this is at a time back in the mid seventies when uh, the equipment was crude by today's. Uh, <laughs> That's right. You know, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, the cameras were so big that you needed to be in a van because you couldn't sit in your car with the cameras because they were that and the battery packs were so big. But anyway, I digress. I, I do want to go back though, even to earlier than that. Um, about uh, when you were 16 and you got hooked, I understood that because um, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do when I was in high school. I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player. And uh, well, when I started to see curveballs coming at my head that were going over the plate at a speed that I that were faster than most fastballs I had seen, I said, no, I think I think I have to find <laughs> a different career. But, uh, but anyway, um, I was working at a gas station and it just so happened that that gas station was where the local police department would gas up. They had a contract with that police department to to gas the, the cruisers up. So at the beginning of shifts or at the end of shifts, uh, the, the, the guys would come in and they'd fill their, uh, and at the time it was guys, uh, would come in and fill up their cruisers. And I, of course, would put it on slow so that I could talk to them and listen to their stories. And then there were times <laughs> when um, they'd get a call over the radio and they talked in that funny language that was cop speak. Uh, we know what it is today, but, sure. you know, but as a 16-year-old kid, it was a mysterious thing. And I'd go off, see them racing off into the into a cloud of dust, squealing out of my uh, gas station. I'd be standing there with the squeegee dripping in my hand and saying, that's what I want to do. And um, <laughs> But anyway, but I understood that I understood that feeling that you got with working with your uncle, because once you saw what he was doing and he lifted back the curtain a little bit for you and you got hooked, I could understand why you would make want to make that a career. So, yeah. Yeah. And I just I've never really wanted to do anything different. I've, I've had different uh, I've worked for different companies and and uh, and really, uh, you know, learned how to take statements and how to conduct surveillance and and uh, how to, you know, kind of read people and, and those types of things. And so it's really uh, it's, it's, you know, I'm 50. 
55 it's worked out so far. Mm, it's all your field craft. That's what you're talking about. Right. And, and I know that surveillance for many in, uh, private investigators or new investigators is entree level for many people getting into the job. But we all, we both know, having been in the business for as many years as you've been and I've been around doing it, that surveillance itself is is very much an art form. And it, it can be done very, very well where it can be done by the numbers, you know, and the difference between very, very well and by the numbers is uh, just what I would have to say is the um, uh, the, the craftsmanship that a, uh, an investigator brings to the job, that he, he or she knows that they've been down this road before, they've seen these type of situations, and they know how to react instantly to it, whereas maybe a newbie would be left wondering what's going on. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, no, that's more than fair. In fact, uh, when I train people, uh, I tell them, you know, we could get a baboon to, to do surveillance, but uh, we're not going to get a, a baboon to understand the nuances uh, to, to what we do. And it is isn't there? It is an art form, an art form, and and I can tell you that uh, I've been doing it for a long time, but I still have to kind of check myself occasionally and make sure I'm getting, I'm not getting too risky, or I'm, I'm, uh, you know, paying paying attention because it can, uh, it, like any any job, it can it can become routine. Right. But uh, you know, there's there's just a lot of nuances to it. For example, you drive up to someone's house, and everybody in the street has their lawn mowed except your subject. Well, that means the subject may mow his lawn. He may not. I don't know, but he he may. Uh, may mow his lawn, or if the subject has, uh, you know, bags of fertilizer or peat moss out in front of his garage, maybe he's got a project that's uh, he's going to be working on. And so those those are just some things that you you have to uh, to be focused on as you do it. And I think also you mentioned this too, but being in in the business for a long period of time, you have to be careful also about cutting corners and taking the easy way out and, and the shortcut. You know, as a professional, that that's a slippery slope. And once you start doing that, uh, because you're the eyes and ears for the company or you're the eyes and ears for your client. And what do they really know what's going on unless, you know, you're reporting it to them and it could be really, really uh, easy to take a shortcut or to take the easy way or to show up late or leave early. Do you know what I'm saying? And, oh, definitely. And yeah, yeah be, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, and, and uh, a lot of the cases that I work, a lot of the surveillances I work have been worked before by other companies or other investigators. And so, uh, you know, I'm uh, when I approach the case, I approach things a little bit differently than other people. I guess we all have, uh, you know, our own way of doing things. But, uh, you know, it's already been worked in a lot of cases. And so uh, they, you know, they already know what's what to some extent. Do you think that your subject might be heated up as we use the parlance that we use in our in our business, that uh, they might be on the look? out for a surveillance dude yeah, I mean that's always the case too. And whenever I uh, whenever I start a brand new surveillance, I'm I'm very careful, especially for the first day. I I, I don't generally don't uh, get as close as I normally would. I'm a little bit less aggressive uh, until I get an idea for how uh, how aware the you know that situational awareness that the subject has, whether they're uh, you know looking uh, over their shoulder or whether they're totally clueless. I had one lady that I followed had no rearview mirror, so I followed her all day long. <laughs> but uh, you know I don't know how she drove that way. <laughs> <laughs> to tell you the truth, but uh, you know, unfortunately, not uh, most people do have uh, review mirrors, so uh, right, they uh, a little bit more uh, careful. But you know, and and the conversation that surveillance operatives would have would be, and with somebody that does have rearview mirrors, and you're going to be following them on surface streets, and then the highways, and then off onto surface streets again. You need to change your look. You know, headlights on, headlights off, uh, sun visor down, sun visor up, baseball cap. Uh, you know, if I'm right up on the guy's back of his car, <laughs> I'm glad I use. 
use that word. Uh, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a coffee cup in front of my face, you know, for the first couple of times, because I don't want them to see, you know, get a look at me. Uh, and then after that, I might change my look, you know, so I understand where you're coming from. Uh, I'd like to go back if I could, Scott, um, you, uh, you, you came back, uh, from the military, you got started in, uh, working, I guess, uh, with, uh, uh, somebody that, that brought you on board. Um, how were you trained and what was your, what, how would you describe, uh, those first, um, those first couple years? Uh, probably I would describe them as harrowing. Uh, okay. I wasn't, uh, yeah, I, uh, I really wasn't trained to be honest with you. I, I, I got a, I was given a book and, and I did a ride along with another investigator for about two weeks. And then he turned to me one day and said, uh, so you think you're ready to go uh, alone and do it? I'm, I, I said, okay, I guess, sure. But there wasn't any intensive training. And I can tell you that I spent pretty much the first year uh, making all the mistakes that uh, that, you know, that you can make all those mistakes in the book. And I, I, uh, I, I have kind of, I'm kind of a firm believer that when it comes to surveillance, I mean, you can train people, you can tell them how to do this and that, and you can take them on some scenarios and, and maybe do some ride-alongs. But I'm a firm believer that you're, you've got to get out there and be on your own and make your own mistakes and figure things out how you're going to approach things. And that's really the best uh, approach that I've had. That's that's how I've been able to be successful by, you know, when I, once I make a mistake, recognizing what I did wrong what I need to do different. And even today, I tell myself, uh, you know, if I'm, a, I'm set up on a surveillance, I, I remind myself, okay, the subject will probably come out this way. He could go left, he could go right. If he goes right, how am I going to get out of this where I'm at? If he goes left, how do I pull in without, with you know, with it looking natural? And I try to talk myself into the, through these scenarios so that I'm prepared. Sure. And your setup is, you know, based upon your best observation post for uh, what you think the activity that you might want to film. Or- right. Right. It allows you to uh, put you into a good, but you also have to think in terms of a good follow position. Then you have to think in terms of where the sun is going to be in the sky and whether, exactly. whether you're going to get fried on the street or whether you could sit and under the sh- a shade tree, which would be nice. You know, you don't always, or have a helpful uh, neighbor bring you out a nice cold lemonade. Yeah. Hey, I've had it happen. <laughs> I know, as I have too. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's it, but yet all that goes into, you know, uh, your planning. You're right. And I, I think what I'm hearing is that. Uh, learning and, and self-analysis. It's not you're not beating yourself up. You're just saying no. You're that okay. This didn't work out. This is and then now now and just say oh the heck with it. You really dive deep. You look into the situation why and you be honest with yourself as to what you could have done better or differently that might have had a different outcome. And I think you're absolutely right, Scott. That over time you will eliminate uh, that from happening and they won't become habits because of the constant self-analysis. Am I right? No, exactly. Yeah, I had a had a case uh, not not long after I started where I followed a couple from a rural area out in the country all the way into town for a, a medical appointment, and uh, everything was just going fantastic, and I I had no problem following them, and and I get ready and I park and I get the camera up to uh, as they arrive at their destination, and they turn around and wave at me, you know, <laughs> wave wave hello. So obviously I knew I did something wrong. This is not working out. So <laughs> I had to think about how you approach things from that you know after that point uh, yeah that 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 call, that was a reason to say okay at what point did uh they uh did i did i heat them up i guess that's exactly. the word we use yeah exactly so um so I'd, I'd like to ask you, what do you think is the difference between a competent investigation and one that really sparkles in your mind? What's the difference? 
Well, um, it would, you know, I guess some of the factors uh, are all the same depending on what type of an investigation it is. But I would say part of it is is having a really objective approach uh, to the investigation, doing exhaustive research, uh, you know, making sure not to put in your opinions of what you think may have happened or if you think this is something is a certain way. And uh, just being very tenacious in, in uh, the investigation and very complete so that the, uh, the uh, client is happy. And one of the factors I would I would say, and this is especially important with domestic-related investigations, uh, you have to really understand upfront what the client wants. And a lot of times the client does not even know what they want. Mm. They just, they're unhappy about something and, and uh, they want it fixed and they've watched uh, CIS and NCIS and, and Rockford and, and, uh, and Magnum, and I'm dating myself there. Yes, but they're, they've watched these shows and they know how it's done on television and you have to explain to them, that's TV, this is real life. Tell me exactly what you expect from this investigation. And sometimes you can't provide exactly what they want. Uh, sometimes you tell them, look, I can't do that, but I can do this. Or we can find this information for you. And so as long as it's exhaustive, as long as you're objective in your approach, uh, and as long as you're able to find some type of a result, and the result may or may not be what the client wants. I've had plenty of clients that were not happy with the results, and they blamed me, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm just the uh, messenger. I'm providing the news, so to speak. And uh, sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's not good. Oh, right. And there's times when, uh, to say it uh, truthfully, is that you get the evidence that they're looking for, and they're very upset. And they're not. They're uh, their upsetness is because now they have to deal with the thing that they were so concerned about. That, right. And and now they have to actually do something with it because there's no more wondering whether it happened or is it happening or what are they are their their suspicions have now been confirmed and now they're angry. So I think a lot of times in in domestic cases, uh, you have angry clients because they're angry because they think they're being cheated on and they're angry when they find out that they have been cheated on. Right, it's, right. It's like, okay, so you're not uh, you're not getting very happy people in those circumstances. But I think I, I heard you also talk about this too, is that you're also a communicator and, and have to manage expectations. I think, is that fair to say? Yeah, you really do. And um, I, I, I had a uh, client I had years ago, it was an insurance company, and I worked really hard to get them. And um, I was going camping with my... <laughs> My, my two sons on a Friday night and the client called me and, and said, uh, you know, I have this rush case and I, this was, you know, 20 years ago. I said, well, I'm getting ready to go camping, uh, with my sons, uh, but I can, I can work on it, you know, tomorrow or Monday or what have you. And she said, oh, okay, no problem. She said, thank you very much. And I never heard from her again. And I had to look back and think about that. And ever since then, I had to remember that our clients are not our friends. We can be friendly. We can be friendly with them. Mm -hmm. We can go to parties and, and, and get togethers and, and meetings and things like that and, and become close to them, but they're hiring us for a reason. So I, I've always had to remember that you know when that once that happened to me that they're not our friends they are our clients and I needed to treat them that way yeah and and it's been, and the answer might have been uh, yes I can drop what I'm doing I can disappoint my children and go and do your case or your answer could have been I understand the importance of doing this now as opposed to tomorrow the next day I will find a suitable person to handle this on your behalf and uh, make sure that I connect you to them would that be okay that would be another option right oh yeah I wish you had uh, 
I wish you'd been with me back then. I wasn't that sophisticated at the time. So. No, and and I'm not, and I'm not saying that uh, that would have been the uh, the correct answer. I think you gave a legitimate answer to that to that uh, client's request. I don't think the client made it clear to you what their expectation was. I mean, that's what I'm hearing from your conversation. Well, yeah, and I, and I uh, and I understand both sides. I just uh, we are tasked with doing the impossible, essentially, uh, and I've always operated under the assumption that there are no excuses. Uh, I can tell you it rained or there was snow or I couldn't find. I mean, I, how do you tell, go back and tell a client they live in a rural area and I just can't find them? <laughs> you know, you gotta. You sure. got. I had that. I had that problem in Colorado. I went to city planner and looked at these maps from 1912 to find the guy's house. I mean, sometimes you just have to. Uh, you have to do what you got to do. So it is what it is. Yeah, for sure. And it doesn't always work out right. I mean, uh, how do you tell um, a client that on a very important case that the school bus got between you and the subject, and now the school bus is on their on their route and is picking up and letting off children. You don't pass the school bus with the right. uh, the flashing red lights. That's just a cardinal sin of surveillance work. And and they have to understand that that's what happens. It, you know, you have construction, you have uh, lane closures, you have school buses, you have um, the weather. Yes, the weather. Any mm-hmm. number of things that could come into a, into play. And sometimes they don't quite understand it, but you have to explain that that's what you know that's what happened. There's other, but there's also ways that you as an yeah. investigator can anticipate. Yeah, I think that. if you explain it to them. Yeah, and I, and I I think if you explain it to them in a in a reasonable way, and and uh, I would I would avoid using the same you know trite phrases every time you have sure. a problem like that, yeah. uh, because that uh, after a while uh, they see that in your reports and they think hmm. But uh, you know if you sit and talk to them, I think that they understand. I had another case where a guy was playing tennis, and I, the only the only way I could get him was uh, through a chain link fence, mm-hmm. and and uh, the the adjuster was not happy with that. But uh, when I explained it to her and she looked it up on uh, you know on the map and all she you know she was understanding at that point so sure but it took a little bit of cajoling there to go with it it did a little schmoozing hey, oh yeah so there's there's that period of time when you first got started and then you went to work with a um, as a government contractor can you tell me about that work a little bit and tell me how that happened i did i uh i've been working for another company for quite a while and after i got my degree i uh i wanted some things called benefits which the other company did not provide and uh at the time i had three small children uh and so i i happened to my father told me about a company that was hiring and it's it's a uh it was a federal government contract the company was called usis mm-hmm. or u.s investigations they are since out of business uh it's a long story but it had to do with edward snowden oh. and with yeah they uh they were the ones that did the background investigation on snowden and on the uh the navy uh contractor who shot up the washington navy yard in dc Okay. And, uh, yeah. And so, uh, they had, and, you know, to be honest, uh, a background investigation is only as good as, uh, the investigator. It's only as good as the people that, you know, the, the, the statements that you take, there's no guarantees. Uh, I mean, Alger James had background investigations and polygraphs. So there, but, uh, and tell us so, who Alger James is. Just well, Alger so. James was the, uh, was a, uh, CIA officer who, uh, rose to the level of, uh, pretty high up in the CIA, uh, working for the Russian division and was actually had been uh, selling secrets to the Russians for, uh, I think, 18 years. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, he had had numerous background checks and polygraphs. So my point is, is that uh, I don't blame USIS per se. But anyway, I got this job and I conducted national security background investigations for the government. And so 
individuals, uh, it was basically two two approaches. Either they were already uh, working for the government with the CI, uh, with the uh, you know DEA or Customs INS. At, this, at the time, they had different names than they do now. The Border Patrol, the the Federal Bureau of Prisons, and they they were required every five years to have a reinvestigation. And so I would go in, I would do the reinvestigation, I would talk to to the subject, I would talk to their co-workers, the ex-spouse, the neighbors, the teachers, and then I would also do that for individuals who are trying to get a position uh, with the government. Let's say you wanted to be a U.S. Marshal or you wanted to work for the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture or uh, you wanted to work for the, you know, be a Border Patrol officer. I would, I was the one that talked to your neighbors, you know, talked to you and and uh, went through this whole litany of questions and things uh, regarding, uh, you know, for your background investigation. Mm. And how long did you do that for, Scott? I did that for a little bit over four years, uh, almost four years actually. And then I had uh, I had wanted to. They they worked me to death. They had me in Huntsville, Texas, and uh, you would not think that Huntsville, Texas, would be a place where you would be worked to death. But uh, <clears throat> there was actually uh, Huntsville, Texas, is the headquarters of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, and so there are seven, I think, six or seven state Texas state prisons in the area. And so I spent a great deal the time uh, investigating. Uh, there's also a couple of uh, federal bureau of prisons. So I, I spent a lot of time at all those prisons. I've been in prison more than pretty much anybody. And, <laughs> and then I also spent a great deal of time at uh, Texas A&M University. And there they have a nuclear reactor for testing and, you know, for, you know, testing isotopes and things like that. And, and uh, all of the, uh, the uh, academics there have clearances with the uh, Department of Energy. I and so I, I would go there and and do all those investigations as well. And I was working probably six days a week, 12 hours a day, driving 50 to 100 miles a day. And, and they actually ended up replacing me with two people. <laughs> Isn't that but, the truth? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but at that point, I said, you know, I really want to do my own thing. I, uh, is there any way I could be a contractor so that I could, uh, you know, do my private investigative work on my own? And they said, uh, you know what? We don't see it happening. And so I said, well, bye. Okay. And uh, I went on my own anyway. And what and what year was that again? You, you told me earlier. That would have been 2000. To right after 9-11, actually. Okay. And do you, do you think that was a good time to leave a, um, a federal background checking company? Well, not according to my wife, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, according to me, it was. Yeah. And, you know, it's been up and down. I mean, this uh, this type of business, uh, it can be feast or famine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's slow periods. Uh, typically, the holiday season right now is slow. But for me, it's just totally gangbusters right now, which is good. So, uh, but you get to the point in your life, I think, where whether you are a school teacher or an artist or even a private investigator, you have, you have to do what you feel you must do, even if it's not going to make you rich, even if it uh, is something that maybe your parents don't agree with or, or something like that. If, if you're if you want to write, if you want to be a writer, then you, you've got to do that. You've got to do you know, you have to be true to yourself. And for me, that that's what that's what happened. Well, part of it was not only. Uh, the craft of being a private investigator, a licensed professional private investigator, but it also meant being an entrepreneur. It meant being your own right. boss, running your own business. <clears throat> and and, that, and th- those can be two very separate uh, and distinct skill sets, as you know. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> there are some investigators that, you know, are great at investigation. Uh, hand them the files. They go out there. They knock on the doors. They hit the leads. They, they write good reports. And they don't want to know anything about the P&L. 
now. They don't want to know anything about cash flow forecasts. They don't want to know anything about uh, strategic branding. You know, it's like, give me give me the cases. Let me do the work. You know? That's right. And, and on the other hand, uh, if you want to be your own uh, boss, you're in a business, and this business happens to be private investigation. And I think you understood that, and I think you went into it with that idea. Was there anybody in your uh, family, or or did you have any role models that you could model after uh, starting your own shop? Well, yeah, kind of through the years, I, I uh, gravitated towards folks that uh, that I that uh, kind of served as a role model for me. You know, I, I uh, actually met JJ arms years ago uh, when I was passing through El Paso and he, uh, you know, in his book, he has such a great work ethic that uh, it's a kind of work ethic uh, that I uh, actually joined the army too, by the way, but I think I already mentioned that. Yes. It's a kind of, it's a kind of work ethic that you see in the army. If you're, if it's five o'clock and you're in a combat zone and your vehicle breaks down, you don't say, well, let's, uh, we'll work on it tomorrow in the morning after we get some rest. No, you start working on it right then. Okay. And so for him, he had that type of work ethic, which I appreciate. Uh, Kelly Riddle was another one, a, a private investigator out of uh, San Antonio. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of egos in this business, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I really don't like that. I, I uh, when I started, like I said, I didn't get a whole lot of help, and so this was before the internet, before there were listservs, before there were people that you could turn to that would help you. And Kelly really really has no ego. The guy is just totally helpful. If you if you if I called him on the telephone right now and asked him uh, advice, he would sit and spend some time with me, and uh, I've respected him for that. Um, well, I've worked also, with uh, I've worked with Kelly too as well. Um, he had people, uh, he had uh, employees track down a woman in Guadalajara, Mexico, that unbeknownst uh, to her was the uh, heir to a sizable estate out of uh, San Diego. Had oh, no wow. had no clue. That's right. Yeah, and uh, Kelly's people did a great job finding her and uh, had to convince her that it was not a scam, <laughs> that it was not a flim flam, that it was legitimate. <laughs> and um, she was very very happy for it. And uh, Kelly and I both made some money on that case. It was nice. But uh, you're right. He's a, he's a quality guy. Uh, I think that he does a wonderful job. I think he's good uh, as a role model for other investigators. And he also runs a, a pretty big uh, shop from what I He think. does. And But yet can have the time to talk to you as a, a one-to-one person. So that's nice. Glad yeah. That. So you had you had a chance to uh, be around other investigators, be around other uh, owners of investigation companies, and you got to see uh, or emulate what they were doing that made sense and that would you could apply to your business. Yeah, I've, I, I've even spent time, uh, I was going to say, by the way, if, if you find out that I'm due some money, let me know because you know where to find me. Uh, yeah. You don't have to go to Guadalajara. Okay. Uh, yeah, people like Paul J, Dean Beers, uh, mm-hmm. both of those guys. Uh, Paul is amazing. Sure. And and uh, just really, Paul's one that is it knows what he, he's doing as an investigator and knows what he's doing as a businessman. And that's, uh, he can, he can, I've learned a lot from him. But yeah, so those, those folks are, uh, you know, I've always had to do things my way. And I think a lot of uh, PIs are, are that way, especially if they're entrepreneurs, if they have their own company. Right. Uh, maybe that's where the egos come from to someone. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I've, uh, I've been really lucky. I've, I've gotten to know some good folks. And I, uh, one last person, I had a, a sergeant in the army uh, and believe it or not, his, his last name was Slaughter. He was Sergeant Sergeant Slaughter. Okay. And uh, we served in the 101st Airborne Division together. Okay. He was my squad leader, and and uh, he now lives in Breckenridge, Colorado, and we see each other every once in a while when I go there. But he uh, he taught me a lot as well, just about life and about uh, you know stick to itiveness and, and and that type of approach. So well, I've had good mentors. 
Am I am I right to say it's the Screaming Eagles? Yes, you are correct. Oh, that's well. I guess all that band of brothers uh, didn't hurt. So uh, yeah, not at all. Okay, but anyway, um, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, there were people along the way that you could reach out to, that talk to, and help you on your path and help you with your business. Now, 17 years, right? Um, and what are you doing these days? Well, I uh, like I said, I'm busy. I'm I'm busier than a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. So I'm just (laughs) shuffling cases here and there. Um, I just finished a uh, a trademark infringement investigation that ended up in federal court. So that uh, really went well. I didn't have to testify; just submitted an affidavit. So that really went well. That's always Uh, nice. um, And uh, right now, I yeah, it is. It is. It's nice when things uh, work out the way they should, (laughs) because they don't always work out that way. No, they don't. And then uh, right now, I just. Uh, like I said, typically this time of year from Thanksgiving to just after New Year's, it can be a slow period for the private investigative industry. But uh, I've got insurance uh, surveillance cases and treating spouses cases uh, galore right now. And uh, the other thing I'm doing is I'm working on another book. Okay. Well, so that's tell me about book number one and then tell me about book number two. So uh, book number one kind of came out of a blog that I wrote and, and my book is called Confessions of a Private Eye. Okay. Uh, and it is available on in Amazon, uh, available on Amazon, excuse me, in paperback and ebook. And you can also get it at Barnes and Noble for the Nook. Okay. And uh, as I would, you know, I would be doing cases in California or Utah or Nebraska and I'd be flying there. And, you know, of course, people ask you what you do. And as soon as you tell them you're a private investigator, they, you know, they think you're Magnum P.I. and they have all these visions and mm. of how how your life must be. They don't they don't picture the heat or the boredom. But anyway. Yeah. And so I uh, I would tell every every time I tell them about cases, people are always saying, you know, you should write a book. And so that's pretty much how <laughs> the genesis of the book came along. And um, it follows my life a little bit. I didn't want to make it too boring, but because uh, I'm not that an exciting guy. But uh, but then I talk a lot about some of the cases I've done and, and some of the work I've done. And, and uh, I think uh, it's been well received. Uh, I've had lots of several book signings and it's sold well. And, and uh, it's about my, my almost 30 years as a private investigator. So that's the first book. And it's called? Confessions of a Private Eye. And uh, that was, I, I picked it up on Kindle. And uh, I told you this earlier before we got uh, on live or on air that mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's a nice, it's, you tell, you have good stories and you tell them well. Well, thank you. And Thank I think you. you weave, you know, your life and, and how you try to maintain a balance between the work and your life. Uh, I think you tell those stories well as well. So I just really enjoyed it. And I, I, I haven't re- finished it yet, but it's uh, on my nightstand. And I know it's like that little Hershey's kiss. I can always get another chapter. <laughs> you know, and it's just Well, I appreciate that. I, I wanted to write from my own experience and uh, and really kind of tell things how, how they are, not how people imagine them to be or how they appear on on television mm-hmm. and talk about you know how you know sometimes we lose people and sometimes things don't happen the way you want them to right and uh and so i think it's a real honest uh approach to well, uh, the I, kind of work we do as an investigator for over 42 years private uh on my own for half of that time 21 i can tell you that you know you're right on the money i just turn the page or i you know i, I swipe the page and uh i just say oh he's got it. oh yeah oh yeah oh, that's right <laughs> oh and i chuckle because i know i've been there done that and I agree with you. It's it's a good read and you tell good stories. Like I said, it's a lot of good stories and you tell them well. So what what's the next book, Scott? So my next book is uh, 
uh, still in the works. It's going to be a book about surveillance. Okay. And uh, kind of, I kind of want it to be uh, like a pocket guide to someone can, you know, who's either new or relatively new in the business can can really use it as a resource to uh, to help uh, conduct better surveillance and you know pretty much all aspects of it from not only what you wear to your vehicle to following you know stationary surveillance, mobile surveillance, and all all aspects. Well, I'll be more than happy to be a beta reader for you on that if you'd like. That would be great. I'd be more than happy to do that. Just let me know. I, I know I have a few coming out. Uh, I'm not ready to talk about it yet. Um, they're not quite in, out there yet, but I have a few coming out uh, sometime in the uh, spring, mm-hmm. and uh, I will, I'll will i reach out to you when the time is appropriate for that. But in the meantime, yeah, if you want to send me uh, any galleys or any rough drafts on that, I'll be more than happy to sit down with you on it and give you my best ideas on what I think, and uh, maybe you know you could uh, say whether or not you'd like, like to include some of that, or if you if you see it a little differently, you know, whatever. I mean, I just think no, that, that would be great. I think, you know, having a handful of uh, guys that have been in the, or, and gals that have been in the business can uh, make your, make your book richer just by the fact that we offer to help you. So I agree. I anyway. agree. Yes. So it's that point in the uh, podcast when we, our listeners are expecting, and you've been teasing us with one little story after another, little tidbits. Uh, what's your favorite detective story, Scott? Well, I mean, I've got lots of them, and uh, I originally was going to call my book "You Can't Make This Stuff Up." But, uh, <laughs> That's for real. I, yeah, I use that phrase quite a bit. I mean, it's funny, you know, you can have a really boring week, and then something happens out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did have uh, I've had lots of interesting cases. I had one several years ago where a uh, a child, and I think he was about seven, six, seven or eight years old, was taken by a uh, non custodial parent, and uh, she had uh, went to uh, his elementary school and assaulted the principal. And and took him, uh, you know, illegally, and uh, and hit out with the child. Uh, and later on, we find out she'd actually gone to Mexico and was there for several months. And so we were tasked with the uh, with finding the child to, to do a recovery of this child wow. by the, uh, the the client, which was uh, the the grandparents as well as the father. Okay, and the, uh, the custodial parent. It was right, the custodial parent as well as his parents. Right, uh, and so. It went on for several months. We we did surveillance at at the uh, the subject's sister's residence, and I mean we just were not having a whole lot of luck. And then we eventually uh, hit upon some information that we that we uh, that we found that the uh, that the the mother, who was a non non custodial parent, was going to be at a specific uh, business in a certain town at a certain time. And so we decided to set up surveillance there and, uh, and uh, you know, take the child. We had the client with us, the, the father. Uh, sometimes that's good to do. Sometimes that's not. But that's for another podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, but in this case, it was important because not only did the his ex-wife, uh, the mother, look, the sister and the mother look alike, very similar. They both had kids the same age that looked very similar. And so oh, my good. You oh. did not want to grab the wrong child. That would be, uh, <laughs> as they say. Heat big doo doo. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, they'd be welcoming Scott to the penitentiary as a, a, as right. a kidnapper. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Lord. you're you think you're doing something great and uh, you're in jail, but anyway, so long story short, uh, we we set up surveillance at the time, and of course, you know, they never they didn't get there right away and they eventually showed up. And I, I of course, recognized him with when they showed up. The client was uh, in the vehicle as well, he didn't he didn't see them, and so we needed him to uh, to uh, ID the child before we, you know, we moved out. 
out. And, and eventually they come walking out and, and he did ideas. So that's my child. And so we, you know, made our move at that point. However, uh, a few things happened. The mother grabbed basically the son and the father spent a little bit too time uh, too much time hugging each other and and before getting out of there and so she grabbed uh she grabbed the car keys and put them down her blouse and so uh from that point on we were pretty much stuck so we called the police we had the police come we had uh, uh child protective services show up and after a whole big hour and a half rigmarole where they put everybody in handcuffs uh except me they uh they gave the boy to the father and they held the woman while we took off and and so we were able to grab the child we went to uh, around the corner a few miles away and met with the grandparents and uh, the child had been gone for i think at this point like four or five months and they'd hadn't heard nothing from him and so we're in there and the grandparents show up he's hugging the grandparents he's hugging his father and then the grandmother uh gave me a hug that's the one and only time i've ever been hugged by a client (laughs) and uh i tell you it felt really good it felt great to see the outcome of how this went and we don't always see the outcome in in our cases sometimes so it was just wonderful to see that well a couple questions if i could and i don't want to probe too much um was the uh the boy you said the child I, i understand it to be a boy yes 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 all right so the uh, and how how was he physically and emotionally how was he after four months with uh, uh mom he was he was fine uh Emotionally, I'm not sure. You know, he probably needed some counseling. But it was uh, we were we actually met at an Arby's so afterwards, okay. and and uh, he said uh, that's where he told his father that he had been in Mexico. He had not been going to school. He'd been sitting in a house in Mexico with a bunch of relatives or a bunch of folks that he didn't know speaking Spanish, and this child did not speak Spanish, and so it was just uh, it was a really tough time for him. But uh, he was just so happy to be back. Okay, I bet. And um, now uh, an hour and a half for um, uh, child services and the police to make a decision uh is there was she in uh was she the mother the the abductor i mean was this uh, a crime that had been committed yeah it it had but you know the you know how the police are uh and, and no disrespect to the police they've got enough on their plate but they view these types of things as a civil issue and uh and we even had copies. We provided copies of the court report of the court order from the judge. We had the father there, and so they put him. They put everybody in different police cars, cuffed everybody uh, until they could sort it out. And like I said, they ended up calling. Uh, Child Protective Services and the Child Protective Services went around and there's this young woman in her 20s and she interviewed everyone and went from car to car to car. We provided her the, the copy of the court order and she was the one that recommended to the police that they uh, release the child to her the father and uh, and not to the mother. And, and at I, that point we got, you know, we got out of Dodge. Yeah. And that's and that's not that, that's unusual for it is the father to uh, maintain uh, the child. Am I being stereotypical or do, you know, if the people are going to side uh, uh, sigh. If they're going to make a mistake, they're going to err uh, with uh, with the birth mother. Oh yeah, yeah, no, and especially in this state, the state that uh, I don't want to mention the state, but the state we were in primarily awards to the mother without uh, you know much uh, ado. 
Uh, and so, uh, but in, in this case, the, she already had assaulted someone. The, the father was an upstanding individual. He was a professional, uh, a licensed and degreed professional. Uh, and so uh, it was, you know, I told him to remain calm. She was, the mother was freaking out and uh, using all kinds of four letter words. And, and so things like that kind of just helped to uh, make the decision, I guess. A little easier. Wow. That's a story. And, you know, that this. And, it's and, in my book. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and, uh, do you, uh, and that's the confession. Of a Private Eye by Scott B. Fulmer. That's a great story, Scott. I really appreciate it. And uh, I want to thank you very much. I appreciate it. Is there, how else can my uh, listeners get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your book and your upcoming books and what you do? They can go to my company website and it's www.intermountainpi.com. That's I-N-T-E-R mountain.com, intermountainpi.com. Okay. And uh, they'll be able to get in touch with you that way. Yes. I, I certainly appreciate the time you took with me today, Scott. This was a wonderful conversation. As I my said, pleasure. As I said earlier, um, my first investigator, uh, licensed private investigator that came on and, and from, from 16 years old decided that he wanted to be a PI and you, you fulfilled the dream. So that's great. And I really appreciate you being on the show with me today. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for listening. I hope that I've earned your interest and your time. Please leave any comments on the website, www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Next week's guests are a husband and wife team of private investigators from South Florida. Wendy Mernon is a private investigator and nationally certified paralegal. She's also a registered paralegal with the Florida Bar. Wendy has over 40 years of experience in the legal arena. Before entering the private field, Wendy worked 16 years for nationally renowned attorney Robert M. Montgomery Jr. in West Palm Beach, Florida as his private paralegal and assistant. She assisted with many landmark cases while working with Montgomery, including Kimberly Bergalis versus David Acer, DDS, a case in which the dentist infected five of his patients with the AIDS virus. They also worked on the state of Florida versus American Tobacco Company, a case which resulted in a billion-dollar settlement for the plaintiff. Mark J. Mernon is the president and chief investigator of Complete Legal Investigations, Inc. He's a certified legal investigator, a certified fraud examiner, and received his bachelor's degree in criminal justice from the University of Nebraska at Omaha. Mark served in the United States Air Force and is a former staff investigator for the public federal public defender, Southern District of Florida. He has over 35 years of investigation experience in both public and private sectors. He assisted counsel in cases of securities and wire fraud, money laundering, drug trafficking, murder, sexual battery, and gang-related crime. He is the past president of the Florida Association of Legal Investigators, FALI, and he is the former regional director for the Southeast United States for the National Association of Legal Investigators. Our circle around the campfire continues to grow by leaps and bounds. I thank you for telling your friends and leaving reviews on your favorite podcast app. FYI, each episode takes around five hours to research, interview, edit, format, and produce, as well as share. Then there are the expenses to air the shows. I love these podcasts, and your ongoing support is appreciated. You can support the show for less than a couple coffees a month at patreon.com forward slash my favorite detective stories. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash my favorite detective stories, all one word. And you will receive all the stories and just the stories from my guests. But wait, there is more. Each guest has given me a second story exclusively for Patreon subscribers. Help me bring to you my favorite detective stories.